0: Hi, and welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general nature. It does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. So, Shani, we've had a lot of new listeners recently, which is which is great, which is a Welcome. good thing. And you came up with this idea that because we have all these new listeners, we should reintroduce ourselves. So, because I don't it's... think
1: we actually introduced ourselves the first time, so okay, <laughs> to all the listeners, we should probably introduce ourselves.
0: Okay, but it's your idea, so you have to go first.
1: All right, I does that sound first? fair? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, I think that we should probably talk a little bit about Investing Compass and how it started as well. But I'll start with myself. So. My name is Shani Jayamana. I'm a senior investment specialist with Morningstar in their Australian office. Um, I've always been in finance. I've worked in advice um, and with asset and fund managers, but I moved to Morningstar because I have a very strong passion for the outcomes of individual investors. And I think Morningstar provides a pretty strong incredible credible voice for them in the market. Um, and that's also a large reason why we created Investing Compass. We just wanted a credible ind- Independent voice in the market that was looking out for individual investors. So, Mark, did you want to talk a little bit about your background and how we started?
0: Yeah, I mean, yours was very put together and articulate. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I look after the individual investor team for Morningstar here in Australia, and I've been at Morningstar for about five years. And I was actually a consultant before that, so mm-hmm. working with asset managers and hedge funds. And yeah, you said all the all the stuff that I would say, right? So I think both of us are very passionate about. Making sure people get the education and the information they need to make better choices and get better outcomes. So yeah, I don't know. That's my introduction. Am I missing anything?
1: No. Okay.
0: Well, that's pretty easy. So a couple other things. Yeah. A lot of people have written in from uh, about our book competition. So yeah. we still have this book competition. Mm-hmm. If you put a comment and a rating or just a rating, if you're doing it in Spotify, send us a screenshot, send it into the email address in the show notes, which is my email address, We'll enter you into that competition to win one of five copies of Peter Lynch's book.
1: One Up on Wall Street.
0: One Up on Wall Street. So we've gotten a lot of entries already, and a lot of people have asked how you're feeling because you were sick last week when we recorded this. So (laughs) we were just talking before how you went to sleep last night at 7.30. (laughs) Which, it's
1: been a regular occurrence. I haven't recovered yet, unfortunately. But um, yeah,
0: no, that was supposed to be an indication that you're still sick <laughs> that you went to sleep at seven thirty. But I so. just
1: got a soldier on. I'm on antibiotics, so hopefully I'll um I'll be better.
0: Soon. Okay. Yeah, I hope so. By as well. the next episode. Yeah. No, I feel bad <laughs> that you you still feel so terrible. The last thing we wanted to say is during June we're going to do Share Month, mm-hmm. which is exciting. So it's all going to be dedicated to individual shares.
1: Yeah, everyone really likes the deep dives on shares, so we thought we'd do a whole month.
0: Yeah. So that's exciting. Anyway, but we should probably get into this episode, right, Johnny?
1: Yeah. So that was obviously a little bit different to our usual introduction, but let's get stuck into today's episode. Today's episode is all about the reasons why you wouldn't invest in ETFs. We've done quite a few ETF episodes recently, and that's mainly due to the popularity of these episodes and the listener requests that we get. But today, we're really going back to the foundations. Many people know the reason for the cases for ETFs, uh, because they benefit from them. It's easy to access. It provides instant diversification or access to asset classes that aren't usually available to them. You can trade them throughout the day, et cetera, et cetera. But today we're going to look at the other side of the coin.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think it's funny. We've been talking about people are obsessed with ETFs mm. and you are obsessed with funds.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're kind of. Similar in a way. But they,
0: they are, yeah. but, but we, we just, I don't know. We do think it's a little bit funny that people are obsessed with ETFs. No, there's not anything wrong with ETFs. So we'll start out by saying that. But it is important to remember that you know the ETF is a vehicle. That's not what you're investing in. So depending upon what's in it, whether it's shares, whether it's bonds, or even crypto now, you are investing in those assets held in the ETF, not an ETF.
1: We don't want to be sticklers, but the language that people use in this case may indicate they don't actually understand that in the case of an equity ETF, they're investing in actual companies. Companies that will have good years and bad years, companies that will be impacted by changes in the economy.
0: And, you know, there are obviously a lot of proponents of ETFs, but we're going to start with somebody who was not a proponent of ETFs. So we're going to start with John Bogle. So he was the founder of Vanguard. And yeah, his views weren't particularly favorable. So he actually rejected the chance to be the first or to have the first ETF in the U.S. follow Vanguard. So this guy by the name of Nathan Most, who created the first U.S. ETF, was State Street. He initially offered to partner with Vanguard and use their S&P 500 index fund as a trading vehicle. So Bogle simply told Nathan Most that trading was a loser's game for investors and a winner's game for brokers and he didn't want to be a part of it. So he was known for actually going to ETF conferences and disparaging ETFs, which I think is kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, there are a few reasons why he didn't think they were great vehicles to invest with. So let's go through some.
1: So as Mark mentioned, John Bogle was the founder of Vanguard, which is a champion of low-cost index investing. And we will get into his view in a little more detail. But it is interesting that Bogle is often associated with ETFs because index investing is associated with them. And many of the things that Bogle said about passive investing is then used to talk as uh, talking points for ETFs. And so ETFs are passive investing, those ETFs that cover broad indexes, but many ETFs are anything but passive investment.
0: For example, thematic ETFs are not passive investing. So they may follow an index, but they should not be confused with passive investing as Bogle defined it. They have high fees. They've got attributes that can lead to poor tax outcomes. They encourage speculation and trading, and they're actively selecting specific securities to try and beat the market. But rant about thematic ETFs aside, (laughs) let's go back to Bogle and what he thinks about ETFs.
1: Yeah. So Mark hinted to part of the problem that Bogle believed that ETFs led to overtrading. He said, during the past decade, the principles of the traditional index fund have been challenged by a sort of wolf in sheep's clothing, the exchange-traded fund. But let me be clear, there is nothing wrong with investing in those indexed ETFs that track the broad stock market just as long as you don't trade them.
0: And Bogle had very strong feelings about trading, and he was skeptical about any product that encouraged trading from individual investors. To him, the major beneficiaries of ETFs were brokers and trading desks, market makers, and exchanges. He thought that trading had an outsized impact on performance, that could not be made up over the long term by picking the right investments. And
1: objectively, he wasn't wrong when we look at the data. We talk about the results of our Mind the Gap study quite a lot, but it looks at the investment returns of individuals comparative to the broader market. As investors, we tend to switch in and out of investments and chase performance and returns. It's human nature. This behavior has resulted in individuals underperforming the market. If you just stay put, you'll get a better better result. But easier said than done. But the point that Bogle is making is that ETFs are great for ease of access, but that also means that they have ease of disposal. They trade intraday, and you're able to switch in and out of investments in under a minute. So what is the alternative, Mark?
0: Yeah. In saying all of this, we must acknowledge that the market has changed, and the argument against ETFs based on trading fees becomes less and less relevant as brokerage reduces in price, and in many cases, it's actually free. But that transaction fee isn't the only cost of trading. You can generate capital gains by selling appreciated investments, and there is a buy-sell or bid-ass spread that you pay. These are real costs. This just exasperates the impact of poor behavior from individuals.
1: Exactly right, Mark. We're not saying fees are a good thing, but we do believe that they can be at a significant detriment to your total return. But they were a barrier that made investors think twice about trading. You'd think twice about trading if you're paying $20 per trade as opposed to $0 per trade.
0: And that was another reason why Bogle didn't understand why an investor would choose an ETF over a managed fund. He believed that it encouraged poor investor behavior, while managed funds did have some barriers to entry. So you have to submit forms, there's no interday pricing or interday liquidity.
1: Exactly right, Mark, which, if you could guess it, Bogle doesn't like either
0: a man that is hard to please.
1: <laughs> That's what you say to me in my performance reviews.
0: Yeah, no, they're, they're really terrible, right, Johnny? <laughs> yeah. So Bogle believed that there was another factor that tempted investors to undertake behavior that was detrimental to their outcomes. And remember that we have an action bias as investors. We feel like we need to do something in response to stress or excitement. The market goes up, we feel like we need to do something. The market goes down, we feel like we need to do something. We've talked a lot about investor activity right now, and buying the dip and why we think it's a bad idea. We have been able to trade interday with ETFs, and that means we get to see the prices going up and down and up and down, and it's been studied time and time again that this creates nervousness and the market actually induces people to make rash decisions that in most circumstances lead to poor investor outcomes. And a crude analogy is that if you're a drug addict and you're trying to get sober, you probably shouldn't live in a house filled with drugs. The presence of the drugs doesn't mean you're going to take them, but it probably isn't helping you achieve your goal of kicking your habit.
1: Okay. So, Vogel had his reasons. He thought that ETFs encouraged trading in a way that managed funds didn't. He thought that they were instruments created to make money for the top end of town. And he thought that they encouraged poor behavior due to intraday liquidity and pricing. Let's see if any of these arguments had any weight to them.
0: Well, we found a study, Mm -hmm. because as people who listen know, Shani loves (laughs) studies. So we found a study that's actually done at UTS, and it explores whether individual investors benefit from the use of ETFs. And obviously, this is pretty pertinent to our discussion today. And what the study found was that portfolio performance of individual investors when they used ETFs was worse off than investors who didn't use ETFs. And it wasn't a small loss. They found that ETF portfolios underperform non-ETF portfolios by around 2 to 3% a year. And that loss that they've realized mostly comes just from buying ETFs at the wrong time rather than choosing the wrong ETFs.
1: But what they did find is that the ETF portfolios did actually outperform if the investor bought the investment and held it for the long term. And what this means is that adopting a buy and hold strategy is more important than selecting better ETFs. But the issue is, that the study also found that due to the liquidity and low cost of ETFs, investors were tempted to engage in timing the market. Exactly what Bogle said. He even acknowledged in his book, and ETFs are practically no different to any other collective investment vehicle like managed funds, if you just purchase and hold them for the long term.
0: Exactly right, Shani. And ultimately, investing in an ETF means that you are taking the underlying investment decisions out of your hands. You're investing for exposure to a particular market or subset of a market. You either trust the strategy if it's passive, or you trust the professional fund manager to execute the mandate of the fund.
1: All right, Mark, so this was just a study. Do investors overtrade?
0: Well, let's turn to another study, Shawnee. And this one's from S&P Global Market Intelligence in 2017, and it was a U.S.-based study. So the study showed that the average holding period for U.S. equity funds was 27 months for advisory accounts, and then 20 months for retail accounts. And for international funds, the average was 25 months for advisory accounts and 20 months for retail accounts.
1: So less than two years, that doesn't really seem like long-term.
0: No, no, it doesn't. And especially considering for most equity funds, the recommended holding period is usually five or more years. So Bogle's right in a way that if you offer investors the option of trading, they are more than likely gonna be tempted to do so before the recommended holding period or viewing it as a long-term holding.
2: Morningstar Investor is built for investors by investors. It provides independent research and data on over 40,000 securities, tools to build and maintain an investment portfolio and investor education resources to support you regardless of where you are in your investing journey. Explore opportunities with our monthly global best ideas. Explore our ETF model portfolios. Plan better with two years of dividend forecasts for ASX-listed stocks. Stay informed with independent thought leadership. We've built tools to help you construct, monitor, and maintain your portfolio, including our Portfolio Manager, integrated with one of Australia's leading portfolio tracking tools, ShareSite. Morningstar has been empowering investor success for over 35 years. We're passionate about your outcomes and are here every step of the way as you achieve them. Take out a free four-week trial to access our resources. Find the details in the episode notes.
1: There's an underlying theme to this episode, but frankly, it's the underlying theme to all of our episodes. We strongly advocate for understanding what you are investing in and why you're investing in it, how the investment ties into your goals and your strategy to reach your goals.
0: Understanding and trusting the purpose of the investment vehicle in your portfolio is is key to reducing poor behavior. And if you understand how the ETF fits into your portfolio and how it's helping you reach your financial goals, the interday liquidity and pricing starts to matter less.
1: And this covers all manner of sins when it comes to ETFs. It means that no matter the cost to trade or lack of cost to trade, you're going to be discouraged from switching in and out. It means that you stop paying attention to the price, as Mark said.
0: And ultimately, Bogle preferred managed funds because he thought they had unassailable advantages over ETFs. And as pure as his intentions were to defend the interests of individual investors, we have to be upfront with the fact that investors have changed, and so is the industry. Bogle's arguments stand up great in theory, but in practice, it's it's a bit of a different story. So in many cases, managed funds can have higher management fees, they have paperwork, and they aren't as retail friendly with the minimum investments that they require. And that discourages investors to invest, and that is a bad thing. There's a reason that retail investors have moved away from managed funds.
1: Well, let's take a step back from these reasons that Bogle disliked ETFs and look at one of the biggest influences of total return, tax. The tax consequences for ETFs are very different than investing in direct equities. We've covered the tax consequences of overtrading, but there is a downside of ETFs that cannot be fixed by adjusting the way you invest or your behavior. This is part and parcel of investing in collective investment vehicles. One of the gives is that you lose some control over what is bought and sold. So, Mark, tell us what's so special about ETFs and tax.
0: Yeah, well, you're right, Shani. So part of this is about control. ETFs have mandates, whether active or passively managed, and the managers must invest within that mandate. So, for example, with a passive fund, and we'll take the ASX 200, a stock falls out of the 200, the new stock that gets added in must be bought, and the original stock must be sold. So same thing with equal-weighted indexes. It would need to be rebalanced at intervals to make sure that it remained equal weight.
1: There's no consideration of whether it is the best decision for the portfolio. Active management also faces similar issues. They'll have large bands within which they'll have to invest in most instances. For example, a fund might have 10 to 20% allocation to Australian equities. If Australian equities perform particularly well, they'll have to sell out of Aussie assets and into other assets, whether or not the investments have good prospects that are still unfulfilled.
0: All right. And once again, what we're talking about is rebalancing. So rebalancing triggers tax consequences in almost all circumstances. And tax is part and parcel of investing and making money, but mitigating it protects the total performance of your portfolio.
1: A great cautionary tale of rebalancing is the ETFs FANG Plus ETF, a global innovation leader's ETF. It's supposed to offer investors exposure to highly traded next-generation technology, and tech-enabled companies. But last year, it came under fire by investors, many of whom did not know that the fund rebalanced.
0: And we can see how this has happened because the ETF targets an equal weighting of each share. And as such, the ETF needs to rebalance the fund by selling down positions that have done well on a relative basis during that period. And when you sell positions that have done well and the market's going up, you incur capital gains. These capital gains are passed on to investors through the distribution that you receive.
1: The distribution that was paid out was $2.14 per unit. Context, the year before it was around 12 cents. As we know, the tech sector did incredibly well last year, and the fund had to bring those equal weightings back into place by selling due to their rebalancing policy. So I'd say that is a pretty hefty tax consequence. On the other hand, though, as investors, we do need to acknowledge that the fact that we're paying tax means that we've done well. So it isn't all doom and gloom.
0: Exactly. So we've gone through a few theories as to why you might hesitate before purchasing an ETF, but we've also provided some ways that investors can have their cake and eat it too. Again, we come to the same principle that we speak about over and over again, and that is knowing and understanding your investments, understanding and trusting the purpose of the investment vehicle in your portfolio reduces poor behavior, and increases your tolerance to events such as what happened with FANG. You know the chain of events that led to the tax bill. You were invested in a fund filled with tech stocks. They all performed well and had to be sold because your investment was equal-weighted and had to return to Square. The gains are taxable, and you received a tax bill.
1: The point of this episode is not to say ETFs are good or bad. It's to say that they're not the be-all and end-all that many people make them out to be, and they do have certain attributes that, are, that encourage bad behavior.
0: Yeah. And all we're saying, Shani, of course, is use ETFs responsibly and understand that, especially in times like now, we're sitting here, the market, the U.S. market went down over 4% last night. That can induce people to make poor decisions. So if you're invested in ETFs, that is great. It's great that you're invested. Just make sure, once again, that you're using them responsibly. We made it. I'm I'm sitting here looking at Shawnee and she looks very miserable. So <laughs> hopefully by the time we do this next week, you will feel better and be back to the Shawnee that everyone loves, right?
1: <laughs> Fingers crossed.
0: But anyway, remember our competition. Send us an email showing a screenshot of a rating or a comment, and we'll put you in the competition to win some books. And also, if you want to follow us on Instagram, we are going to put up a macaroni and cheese. I made macaroni and cheese yesterday yeah. and Shani filmed it <laughs> because we had a lot of people asking for my recipe. So what is our Instagram handle again? It's
1: Morningstar Investor AU.
0: Very simple. All right. Thank you very much for listening. Any
2: advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.